This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Project. We're bringing you stories of people who found God in their life and their sense of purpose in that calling. Today we're talking with Mike Gore. Mike is the uh, chief executive of Open Doors, an organisation that is committed to raising awareness and providing practical support for persecuted Christians around the world. Mike, thanks for your time today. Brendan, it's good to be here. Um, really important work that you're involved in in your organisation. How long have you been with Open Doors? I've been with the ministry now for about 10 years, but I've been, the, been in the role of CEO for about five. Yeah, okay. So for those that aren't familiar with the particular work that Open Doors does, can you give us a little intro into the yeah, key um, essences? Yeah, it's, it's, so persecution, it's often a word. I mean, I mean, it's a word that's kind of come to a little bit more awareness in the last 10 years mm. with the war with ISIS in the Middle East. But for listeners today, um, to dispel some myths around persecution up front is that number one, persecution, as we talk about, it's not always violent. Mm. And number two, it's not always committed by Muslims. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's uh, a Good really distinction. important <laughs> distinction. But we would say, Brendan, that Open Doors basically works wherever Christianity kind of bumps heads yeah. with culture yeah. or religion and there's a fallout, we work. And now started in 1955 by a guy called Brother Andrew who wrote um, a relatively famous book called yeah, God Smuggler. And yeah. I'm sure many of the parents listening to this have probably read that book. Yeah. But look, you come forward 65 years now and we're working in about 90 countries around the world uh, from right across, let's say, Southeast Asia through the Middle East into Sub-Saharan Africa and there all over the place. Mm. But persecution, Brendan, does look vastly different mm. depending on where you are. So a believer in Asia would tell you it's a smash-squeeze paradigm. At one mm. end of it, you've got squeeze. Now, squeeze is where culture is so oppressive that outworking your Christianity kind of just squeezes the life out of you. Mm. It doesn't hurt you, but it restricts you from access to medical or from healthcare, mm. schooling for children. And so it's it's kind of like they called it a civil death. Mm. Um, where you're alive but dead. Mm. And, and for many believers, I say it's a fate worse than death. Mm. And so that's a squeeze end of the paradigm. But at the other end, and often indicative of the Middle East, is what we call smash, mm. where acts of violence kind of um, meet Christianity. Yeah. And again, I would say um, for our listeners that acts of nonviolent persecution are far more effective at suppressing the church or mm. someone's faith mm. than violent persecution. Mm. It's, it's interesting. I'll, We'd love to come back and explore this a little deeper in our conversation, Mike, but the, the notion that I think everyone has some awareness that Christianity is by definition countercultural, mm. and that that in some regard all Christians are facing you know, bumping heads with culture, mm. I'd be interested to, to hear where does it tip over to that notion of, well, we're counting the cost and we're you know, being disciples yeah. and where does it become a point of of persecution is there a line is it a, f a gray area yeah i think it's it's a really it's a really interesting and um and probably multi-layered question to tell you the truth i think that the reality is that um persecution in so many ways it's one of the things that sets open doors apart is a persecution we're not here to end it most charities mm. would say they're here to yeah. stop the stop poverty which they exist, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. and that's a noble pursuit 
But I would say that persecution, it's a consequence of successful Christianity. Mm. Right? Wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. Mm. And for our listeners, I guarantee you persecution exists in Australia. Just try talking about Jesus. Yeah. Right over the last 10 years, we've seen tolerance at an all-time high for things like minority faith, um, transcendental meditation, mm. sex, food, mm. all those kind of cultural things, the trajectory of tolerance has just been skyrocketing upwards. But the one thing it hasn't been is for Jesus. Mm. In fact, the name Jesus is often met with skepticism, mm. um, critique, ridicule. Mm. And I think that's the thing is that we, we talk about what's the line that tips over into persecution and often the, the misunderstanding behind that question is that the line is often associated with violence, mm. but as we heard before, yeah, it's, yeah. it's about yeah. cultural oppression yeah. as well as violence. It depends where you are. So Australia, I think we're far more likely to fall into a place of non-violent persecution mm. than we are violent. Mm. And to be honest, for our listeners, I think some of them would have experienced that. Yeah. From multiple, we're in a multicultural society now. Many of your listeners will have come to faith, but from a different cultural background yeah. and for their family, that's probably quite an insult. And so I think persecution and um, cultural oppression exists. The wrestle is we often would measure our proximity to God based off his provision of safety. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we say, hey, when life is good and things are going well, God, you are good. Mm -hmm. And by thinking that or by living by that, what we do is avoid sharing Jesus. Yeah. And that is the line. The yeah. moment you share Jesus is when persecution will come. Yeah. Must be uh, in, in lots of ways very confronting to be involved every day running up against these examples around the world of of intolerance mm. to Christian faith or the the suffering of your brothers and sisters in different parts of the world. What's it like day yeah. by day confronting that? Or I, having... I think probably for the first five years of my time here at Open Doors, it was quite, mm. quite draining, quite grueling. Uh, but then I realized that, to be honest, it's a sign that Jesus is still feared and respected the world over. Mm. And in many ways for me, that's a beautiful confirmation mm. that the Gospels are true and accurate. Mm. That's an interesting perspective. How does the suffering of Christians in China or in Africa, how do you reframe that to be the the uh, respect yeah, for, look, for Christ? As Westerners, for too long we would see suffering or persecution as a, an absence of the gospel or betrayal of the gospel is probably a better word. Mm. But suffering and persecution, that's the essence of the mm. gospel. Mm. And the moment you understand that, everything changes. Because for me, I realize that if if I am going to live by what I believe, which is that persecution is a consequence of successful Christianity, well, the people we serve, they're bold enough and courageous enough to share their faith mm. and they have a trust-filled relationship with Jesus. There's a mm. big difference, Brendan, between knowing of Jesus mm. and truly knowing him. Mm. I spent 30 years of my life knowing of him. I knew all the Sunday school stuff. I grew up in church, all of those wonderful things, and it was good mm. and healthy and right. But this church that I've bumped into through Open Doors, there are people who tell me things like a Central Asian believer who said, mm. we look at reading our Bible as our opportunity to walk hand in hand with God himself through mm. the Garden of Eden. He says, Mike, I don't understand why in the West mm. you have seven translations on your shelf, but mm. you don't want to read them. Yeah. He says, this is my chance every day to walk through the Garden of Eden with God himself. Mm. Why wouldn't you go to those scriptures? And so, Brendan, for me, that's just a difference, man. It's like one of them truly knows him. Yeah. And then there's me that knows of him. Yeah. Is that an example of you don't know the value of something until you lose it? Is that part of just that notion of 
you, yeah. you long for what you can't have or yeah maybe maybe i think if your faith doesn't cost you anything it's probably not worth anything and i yeah. think it's hard to know the cost of something or lose it when you probably don't value it in the first place yeah you know often, presumptuous yeah well, well there's a lot of um there's a lot of people who ask me about let's say birthright christians in iraq yeah yeah they're people that um for our listeners would be have, have been born into christianity for generations yeah and for some reason, Westerners often think, well, they're less of a Christians because if they haven't been born again as such, mm. um, well, they're just birthright Christians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being in Iraq with a friend who said to me, Mike, I get that, but I don't understand why are they more willing to die for Jesus than I am. Mm. Right? And I think for me, the reality is, mm. and always trying to position the persecuted church as a spiritual mentor. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually wonder how much birthright Christians we are. Yeah, right? yeah, that's interesting. The 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 notion that the persecuted church is of a particular dominational perspective or hold to a narrow mm. range of doctrinal professions. It's not the case. No, well, that's one of the one of the most um, frustrating, compelling things I think in what we do is that people you want to fit the church, capital C, into mm. the framework of understanding you have. Mm. But one of the most beautiful things about the church is the diversity of the church. Mm. And the world over, whether it's Coptic Orthodox, whether, you know what, it's Jesus professing Catholics, whether it's evangelical, whatever it is, I've seen the church exploding around the world in growth and effectiveness mm. in community from all shapes, sizes, walks. And and I love sort of going toe-to-toe to people in Australia who will say, oh, well, they're just, you know, happy, clappy Pentecostals. Well, I'm like, you know what, man. Jesus, he went to the cross for his love for you, me, and ISIS, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean we worship the same God, but yeah. what it means is no one's beyond salvation. Amen. And I think too often we will say, well, this one's right or this one's wrong. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. The beautiful thing about yeah. the gospel is that there is a multitude of ways to walk it, to outwork yeah. it. It may be a narrow road, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of beautiful ways you yeah. can walk it. That's a beautiful thing, Mike, isn't it? Because I, I think you're right that we can say uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for mm. us. But once we make a profession, then it's only for that particular doctrinal position yeah, or that yeah. denominational perspective and the others, you know, can he really love mm. somebody who's who's not of our kind? And we realise if we've got it right, if we've got it wrong, if we've got emphases right, if we're, if we're called to know Jesus, that's the thing. That's going to be the, Absolutely. the, the, the only ticket that's needed. Well, you, you mentioned a bit about your own story mm. and the experience that you had in your own life. Can you tell us a bit about what it was? You said you grew up knowing about God. How did that happen? What was God yeah, like so, in your home and your childhood? So my, my journey starts a long time ago. I don't know how long we've got this podcast, but <laughs> I'll look, we'll, we'll race through it and see how we go. Um, so I was born as a Hindu. Right. Uh, I was abandoned at birth in India uh, because from what I understand, my biological mother had fallen pregnant with me out of wedlock. Now mm. within the caste system, that's a really insulting thing. And the Hindu religion, that's a really insulting thing to have happen. So I was declared um, what you call a dalit or an untouchable and really? placed into yeah. an orphanage. I was unable to be adopted because, again, within uh, Hinduism, they believe what you've done in your previous yes, life the karma. It determines the circumstances yeah. amidst which you were born. So that was in 1981. In 1977, a family in Australia... They had two biological daughters of their own and applied for an adoption and they heard a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape over the following four years. After four years in 1981, they decided to give up on adopting a child. It had just been too hard. And as a way of closing that chapter and moving on, 
they uh, booked a trip to America uh, with their two biological daughters and yeah. just thought we'll close that chapter and move on. Anyway, during this time, one of the ladies in the orphanage took a liking to me. She was a nurse um, and she was caring for me. One night she grabbed me and she smuggled me across a state line. She went to a um, to some nuns and she bribed them with cash, from what I understand, to say that I was dumped on their doorstep and How that my incredible. birth certificate could be changed so I could be adopted under that state's law. Unbelievable. Now this family got back from their holiday and they got a phone call saying, the adoption's gone through, your son will be at the airport at the weekend. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> they are uh, a oh Christian family. Goodness. And uh, as you can imagine, they were fairly shocked and they said, look, we don't have the money. Yeah. And that night they were praying about it. The next day, um, my mum was driving a car with the two biological daughters. She had a car crash, wrote the car off without a scratch or a bruise to anyone in the car. And then she said to me, well, Mike, what was a miracle was that two days later, the day before you arrived in the airport, the insurance money had been returned to her bank account and it was to the exact dollar that was needed to pay for my adoption. Not Unbelievable. And not at all less. And so that, that's how I ended up in Australia, Brendan. Mike. But but then I grew is up it, in the Southern Shire. Yeah, has anybody a, made a movie of this? No. It's, like, no, it's, no. it's um, Look, one of the things I am passionate about saying is that we love to place hierarchy on testimony. Wow. We love to sort of say, look at the power of that story. But one thing I've learned over my 39 years is that um, it's God's story. Mm. You know, as a culture, we desperately want to elevate or um, make a story a hero. Yeah. But if you grew up in a Christian home and you had yeah. a relatively plain or placid life, that doesn't make your testimony any yeah. less worthy. That's good. And I really want uh, particularly the students listening yeah, to the that's podcast good. today to know that it's not about being smuggled across borders. It's not about um, any risk in your life. It's not mm. about traveling to crazy places. Mm. It's a reality that God is ultimately in control of yes. all things. Amen. And that there is no hierarchy in testimony. And one of the keys to knowing how best to serve Jesus is simply to be able to articulate, number one, who is Jesus to you? Mm. And number two, what has he done in your life? Amen. Because I think whether you have grown up in that Christian home or whether you've grown up in an abusive household and you yeah. now know Christ, yeah. that the key and the power is that your story it has most power to those who know you best. Yeah, that's so good. And so we, we can push into some more of that sort of stuff if you want. But I grew up in the Sutherland Shire of Sydney. Um, I was the only sort of brown kid in school till I was 16, had a heaps of racism growing up. So I know, again, for our listeners today, what it's like um, to be discriminated based on mm. skin color and mm. all sorts of stuff. But one of the places I found most belonging in was St. John's Sutherland um, Anglican Church. Because in that, <laughs> Shout out to St. Right, John's. That's right. In that church, I, I wasn't seen as the brown kid in a white family. I was just yeah. seen as part of the Gore family. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't treated any differently. I was disciplined as much as anyone else. Um, and for me, I found a real sense of identity and belonging. So that that provided some of that um, social belief, yeah. self-belief and spiritual nurturing. But to your question at the beginning, as I got to open doors, I realized, man, I know a lot about Jesus. But when I meet with a persecuted church, it's like they know a different Jesus. Yeah, right. And so it's nothing to, to sledge the Australian church. It's a part of that whole, man, maybe it's a birthright thing. Maybe it's just that over time things become more complacent. Yeah. But open doors has allowed me to see a far bigger, a far more colorful picture of the gospel. Yeah, yeah. To would you have said that you did know Jesus when you were growing up? Absolutely, or, yeah. yeah. I mean, confirmed in the Anglican Church. I mean, I would say, call myself actively a Christian. I would doing read my his Bible, work, pray, part do all of that the church, sort of stuff. Yeah. all that sort of stuff. All that sort of stuff, yeah. But an encounter with with 
a God that was not contained by the the cultural norms or no, it's probably more a faith that costs you something, right? So yeah. I baptized because um, it cost you. It didn't cost you much to be a Christian no, in Australia, not really. No, it still doesn't. I don't think. It cost, cost you more f- for your ethnic background. That was racism. Yeah, yeah, I mean that cost me a, a bit of. Um, it made me stronger, right? I, I think that oh, I've been one of those really lucky ones that that it could really push you. It pushes you one of two ways. Mm. It pushes you into your shell and out of society and really downtrodden, or it can build you bigger, better, and mm. stronger. And um, and I have been um, lucky enough to mm. be able to grow through racism. But the faith piece, now I've always been a Christian. I've always been an active Christian. I just feel like working at Open Doors, mm. the, the understanding of what it means to follow Jesus maybe mm. is where it all changed yeah. because the faith didn't cost me anything. Faith was happy. Yeah. Faith was a good job, yeah. uh, a comfortable life, a solid family. Um, healthy kids, yeah. whatever it might be. But the persecuted church, they almost have diametrically opposite experience. Yeah. It costs them everything. Yeah. Their life sucks, right? I mean, there's no two ways of putting it. And that's that doesn't that that's a totally different Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm saying, well, God, aren't you meant to be good and give me good things? Um, and that's when I realized, no, I've I've rendered him to be a mix between Superman and Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah. And that's a big, big risk. Yeah, and that's the the big danger in our culture, when when we've lost touch of the power of the mm. gospel to redeem, to to uh, face those challenges. But can I ask you, Mike? Hearing you make that comment about your early experiences and what racism meant for you, what have you seen involved in the persecuted church, and knowing that that it's a subculture in those countries where it's happening. Mm. What's the difference between persecution because of of a racial culture versus persecution of a spiritual? Yeah, I think, f- to be honest, that there's not much other than fear, right? Fear yeah, is right. often the, um, the genesis to so many of the instances of um, discrimination, yeah. human rights abuses, uh, persecution, bullying, because... It's so funny. Fear is such a great driver and conformist of behavior. Mm. I mean, if I look around the society and culture today, mm. to be honest, persecution often comes because governments are terrified of Christians mm. um, because other religions are terrified of what Jesus offers um, Hindus who are, who are completely ensnared by a caste system yeah. that is generational and oppressive when it comes to poverty, while Jesus offers them freedom from that. Yeah. A well-ingrained um, religious structure. Yeah. So it's terrifying. Yeah. Fear is the genesis to both of those things, whether it's racial abuse, persecution, or whether it's religious persecution. Yeah. Fear is the genesis. Yeah. Uh, so I can see that, that again, the perpetrators, from somebody who's experiencing each of those things, mm. is, is there a difference in what you find as your solid ground, your, your sense of self, your reason for carrying on? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think so. I think um, for me, one of the things that probably was my solid ground during the the racial stuff was actually the fact that I was a Christian mm. and I had an identity in Christ and a community of support. I mean, mm. we can never underestimate the value of a well-functioning church in providing community and support to people, whether that's in Sydney or in Syria. Mm. Um, and so for me, again, one of the reasons maybe that it didn't push me into my shell and really, you know, really um, affect me with mental health sense 
was that I had a community. I had a belief yeah, yeah. and I had a solid ground in Christ. Yeah. And Brendan, for so many people, they don't have that. Yeah. Um, they don't have a faith belief. They only have um, a society and cultural view of themselves. Yeah. And that's a, that's a heartbreaking and a worrying place to be because you have nothing to find value in other than the words of others. So that, that then introduces the, the another thought to my mind in our conversation. You, you're dealing with communities and families and individuals that are at the, the pointy end of some ruthless attempts to, mm. to obliterate their culture, their standing, their faith, their belief, and yet they, they persevere. Have you found that there's a common thing, common understanding, revelation yeah, it's a, that they hold? It's, um, I love that question because it's, it's one part, um, and this will sound insulting, it's one part naive and it's one part powerful, right? Because what we've been talking about is the difference between knowing of and knowing Jesus, yeah. right? And, and so the perseverance piece is almost a non-event mm. because when you truly know him, yeah, it's not yeah. an issue of perseverance. Yeah, that's good. Right? It's it's um, it's an issue of it's just what you do yeah. and it's just part of the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's what following this guy will cost me. Yeah. And so, again, it's, it's a great Westerner question. Yeah, that's um, good. And, and and I would ask the same one. So I'm not trying to be insulting at all. No, not taken. It's, um, <laughs> it's just that we go, how do they persevere? Well, they know nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Right? I remember being in China. And I'd smuggled Bibles into China. China's a great part of the world, but it's, it's a part of the world where faith comes at a great cost. Mm. And I was meeting with maybe a 60, 70, 80 year old believer. I mean, he was um, a guy that grew up in the face of communism mm. and had a, a powerful faith story of his own. But as I was talking to him, I asked him, well, can I pray for you? And he says, mm. yeah, I want you to pray that persecution never leaves China. Mm. Now, wow. Brendan, well, that's this ridiculous, was in my, isn't yeah, it? Crazy. I mean, this was in my, I think this was in my second year working for Open Doors. Wow. And I was still in that moment where I thought we were there to end stuff. I'm like, yeah. I think, I remember thinking to myself, man, I think he got the answer wrong. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Take meant two. to free. That's right. <laughs> um, or maybe it's just lost in translation yeah, or English yeah. or whatever it is. And then I said, well, brother, would you pray for me? And he says, yeah, I, I pray that you'd be persecuted. <laughs> Thanks. And then I'm thinking, man, I really hope he got that answer wrong. <laughs> right, um, yeah. but, but he said to me, look, we look at the Australian church as a prophetic example of what happens when faith becomes free. Yeah, right. He said the value of Jesus drops. Oh. That means I want you to pray persecution never leaves China. Because what he's saying, Brendan, yeah, is ultimately yeah. I want you to pray that we always have a cost to our faith. Amen. Because when we have a cost to our faith, the issue of perseverance, man, it's a non event, yeah, yeah. right? Because I'm there to simply follow Jesus no matter the cost. Yeah. And again, for me, that was a wonderfully yeah, that's um, powerful. sort of mind-blowing <laughs> and, and, and table-turning kind of event to say, man, that's a game of the culture be my God. I'm sitting here going, no, don't isn't faith meant to be free? And this dude's saying, no, 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 faith is meant to cost you everything. Yeah, yeah. I, and I appreciate your care for my sensitivities in my in asking that question but i i do really see the insight that you're sharing that it's uh it's not about persevering because it's you're not trying to hold on it's no, just who you are that's right it's just living and it's who jesus is the new life in christ it's, he is no less christ yeah living with the, the the power of the gospel manifest in your life and you got no choice that's right because that's that's life what it is michael i think there is a uh, I don't know whether it's open doors. I think it is, but I certainly know that there is a an index of persecution That's right. around. Is that something That's that open us, doors yeah. manage? Yeah, yeah. World watch list. I walked on onto your website and yeah. seen the hotspots and the the color coding. 
coming at it from that perspective, is there is there a, a, a counter ideology or a counter um, worldview that is more keenly opposed to Christian faith than others, or is it just a degree of expression of those things? Yeah, it's look. I would say so. That's called the World Watch List. It's an yeah. index ranking of the fifty most difficult places to follow Jesus. As something Open Doors has been renowned for doing for now 30, 35 years, something something early nineties it began. Um, well, and and what's funny is I look at that as almost it's the map of where Christianity is really mm. working best. Mm. And one of the great questions for us is it's a, as you said it's an index or a coloured ranking system. One of the great questions for us is well why is Australia grey? Like, yeah, you know because. Does that mean the gospel isn't being promoted, pushed, yep, shared? Yep. Because what we see is that every time it is, faith comes at a cost. Yep. To your question, the it is undeniable that, that the majority of the top 10 uh, countries that are most difficult to follow Jesus, the key driver to persecution is Islamic extremism. Yeah, and right. that, that's an undeniable fact. And uh, I said at the top of the podcast, persecution isn't always committed by Muslims. I want to stand by that. Yeah. But... It, it is also in a large part committed where Islam and Christianity really do bump heads, yeah. okay? Uh, but there's also North Korea, the number one country for well mm. over a decade. It's not persec- It's not um, Islam, sorry. It's mm. communism, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so there, there's still a vast array of um, leadership styles, government mm. styles, religions. Mm. Uh, what we saw um, back in the 60s and 70s was an increase in the radicalization of Islam, mm. right? But then in, in the 80s, we saw an increase in the radicalization of Buddhism. Mm. The 90s brought an increase in the radicalization of Hinduism. Yeah, yeah. Now, most of the increase in the radicalization of these other faiths was aimed at staving off the advancement mm. of Islam. Mm. Okay. But as they increased in their velocity and their ferocity of persecution, Christians have been caught up in that. Mm. And so what we've seen is an increase in the radicalization of several other faiths mm. and because of that christianity taking a far bigger beating mm. um, in, in different cultures and countries around the world yeah that's interesting so so what i'm hearing is it's it's not a particular set of ideologies no. that are strongly opposed or more strongly opposed it's varying expressions of those at different times and in different contexts and they yeah, can I mean, each be Australia, just example, as violent it's it's a great example of um, intolerant atheism. Yeah, right? yeah, it's yeah. Uh, where things around gender and, yeah. and all these kind of things are the drivers that says that the church is outdated, antiquated, old school. You know, it's it's not communism. Yeah, it's not uh, Islam. Yeah, it's a true like cultural clash. Yeah. Bit more of a philosophical question, Mike. Given the fact you've been talking about the radicalization of those different faith traditions and the need for Christianity be at the, the cutting edge and pure mm. in its expression, is are we talking about the radicalization of Christianity? Is that what you're talking about as a counterpoint to yeah, those other it's, it's, a, it's a word I'd probably avoid um, because of the connotations that, that come with it specifically around Islam. But it, it is a great... Um, it's a great notion mm. to think about. Mm. Okay, so I'm not saying that we should be radical Christians, but I am saying what would it look like to mm. be more radical, mm. right? If you talk to the Billy Grahams of this world, even the Brother Andrews from our mm. um, ministry, mm. you ask them at the end of their lives, what would you have done differently? Mm. And unanimously they say, I would have been more radical. Mm. More right? bold. More bold, more courageous. And I think it's a really good 
um, thought. Mm. What would it look like mm. to be a courageous Christian? Again, mm. we can replace the word radicalized yeah, yeah, with yeah. Co- courageous uh, Christian in society and culture today. Yeah, it's a, you're, you're right. You're in, in identifying the the danger in any sort of culture or any sort of conversation about how terms can get appropriated by a particular concept. Mm. And back when I was young, the term of being a radical Christian, that was back in the 70s, mm. it was a very appropriate thing. We would, we would oh, I'm a, you know, sold out for Jesus. And it didn't have the connotations that you very rightly recognise and say, well, in this conversation, mm. we want to be really careful about misrepresenting and, and miscommunicating to people what is the true, uh, the, the power of the religion yeah. we want to follow. Earlier in our conversation, Mike, you, you used a phrase, you know, this is what Open Doors does, what we do. Mm. You, you're here in Australia. You've got a team of people that are working here. You're serving globally. What do you do? Yeah, it's a great How question. How do you help those people? I think the best way we could say, say it is there's three kind of buckets that we could talk about. So Bibles. Mm. Um, we have historically delivered and smuggled Bibles into lots of different countries, but really focused on um, providing scriptures where possible. Mm. Uh, discipleship and training uh, is probably the key area of our ministry now. One of the things that we identified as an organization is it's one thing to sort of um, evangelize, share the gospel. It's another thing to help people keep following Jesus. Mm. And for many churches across the world, the biggest challenge is what happens once people come to church, yeah, right. not how do we get people to church. Mm. And so discipleship and training mm. is a really key part of what we do, whether that's um, upskilling pastors, yeah. whether it's running um, counseling, education facilities, all sorts of stuff in these countries. And then the third one is, it's a large bucket, but we'll call it practical support. Now that could look like micro business loans yeah. uh, in the Middle East, again, over the war with ISIS, when when people look to leave the country, one of the best ways to keep a church together is through micro-business loans yeah. because people stay, develop an income, and therefore don't look to leave. Yeah. And so yeah, our work looks vastly different across the 70, 80 countries we work in. In fact, it's one of the things I've always loved about Open Doors. Mm. I think often in Western cultures we look at change as almost like an element of mistrust. Yeah. Hey, if you keep changing the things you do, maybe you're not trustworthy. Yeah. I, I think it's the opposite. Yeah. In Iraq, a great example, Brendan, was that the first time, first trip to Iraq I made was at the height of the war with ISIS. I mean, the place was a war zone and people arriving on, on foot just in the countless thousands. And what the church needed then was emergency food and mm. relief right? mm. so, and shelter. And so Open Doors fed, I think, 10,000 families and, and provided camps. And then 18 months later when I was back there, well, the helplessness and the hopelessness of the situation had set in. Mm. And so what's crazy was we stopped feeding people. Yeah, right. But I mean, that is, that, that's a, a yeah. mind-boggling decision yeah. to make because what you have in these refugee camps and war zones is what's called the dependency psychology. Right. Now, we needed to turn off that source of food to kind of motivate, particularly men, to get out, get up, get going, right? Um, and so we shifted to doing things like um, schools in these refugee camps because there'd been a year and a half already where mm. kids just had, had no education. Yeah. Um, Marriage counselling, because when you're living in confined quarters with up to 30 other people, intimacy in marriage and communication is one of the first things that goes. Um, trauma care and mental mm. health support for particularly parents um, who had been displaced by ISIS. So that, that was 18 months later, almost 180 degrees different, yeah. but a sign of trust, yeah. not mistrust. Yeah. And then 18 months later again, when the camps had all but gone, ISIS was kind of on their back feet. Well, uh, the church said to us this time, 
hey, look, the way to keep our congregations together is through micro-business loans. Yeah. Because every step along the way, what I love about Open Doors is our goal has been to say, how do we keep the local church functioning? Yeah, good. Because we would say that the indisputable heavyweight of the world through world history and Christian Brennan has been the institution of the local church Amen. when it comes to administering hope, aid, justice, safety, yeah. and relief. It's not without controversy, yeah. but even Christian and non-Christian history say the presence of a church often has a net gain mm. on community and it reaches far beyond the walls of simply being Christian. Yeah. And so as a ministry, I guess you could say, look, we exist to breathe life into local church because what we say and what we believe is that a well-functioning church will reach far beyond the walls of Christianity it will bleed into communities mm. with a heart and the love of Jesus, mm. um, equipping and enabling people to best follow Jesus, mm. however that looks. Yeah, and, and you're right, isn't it, about the, the the manifestation of the church as as uh, examples of individual reception of, of specific grace to people, mm. so saving grace, mm. but its presence can also be God's Absolutely. general grace yeah. to that community and, yeah. and what it flows. I was also interested to hear that a little count you gave of the three years or so of mm. how agile Open Doors was in its ministry. The The notion of being the experts versus listening, listening. to the people. have to listen, you know. At, at the point, mm. it must be like in the moment of the crisis, you've got experience, you know what's happened in the past. Is, is there a time and a place where you – not to be disrespectful, mm. but but um, you know what's best for that context. Yeah, you, you surround. You have to surround yourself with trusted people. I remember being in Iraq, and and someone said to me, "Well, well, the thing we love about Open Doors is that you are reliable for food, mm. right? We can depend on you. Other charity charity and aid organisations have come in, and they they're great at raising large amounts of money in a condensed period of time, but they'll also spend it in a condensed period of yeah. time because they're models for some of the large scale charities." are what we would call crisis to crisis fundraising models. Yeah. So they they are brilliant at raising incredible amounts of money, but what they do is they need a crisis and they yeah. need to move on to the next one. And so I'm sitting there with this person who's saying to me, "Hey, the thing we love is that you you haven't stopped feeding us. Mm. You're reliable and you're dependable." I'm sitting there thinking, mm. "Man, I'm literally having conversations at the moment with people saying we're about to stop this program." Yeah. <laughs> so you, you sit there going. That's a really weighty, it's not my yeah, call to make, but yeah. it's a really weighty Big decision. Call. Yeah. So you must surround yourself with people on the ground who you can trust, mm. who can say, hey, this is, as a pastor or a leader or a significant leader, this is what we're seeing emerge and here's how we think you can change. And then what I love about Open Doors globally in our field is that they don't sit there and go, no, no, we're, we've got this prescriptive method of doing this. They say, hey, if that's what you want, here's how we're going to deliver it. And how do you develop that trust? Where is it years and time, years and years. Yep. relationship, yep. Um, yep. proven results somewhere else? Yeah, look, I think that Open Doors is not largely known as Open Doors in most of the countries we work because of the, the risk around that. Um, it's through the multiple decades. I mean, you can't be in ministry, in my view, for 65 years without a major controversy. Right? Like, yeah. Sorry, you cannot remain in ministry if you for this long um, – unless you're good at what you do. Yes, indeed. Right? Um, we haven't had major controversies. There yes. hasn't been issues around trust or um, stewardship yes. or finances. Yes. You don't last 65 years in this world in charity, Christian charity, yes. if you're poor at what you do. And I think the longevity to what we do is a great example of the trust that we have in in so many of these countries. Yeah, that's good. You, the comment you just made um, raises a question for me about the anonymity 
you mm. hold. I, I know that you are very careful when you're sharing stories to make sure you're not exposing any of the people mm. in the countries that you're helping, um, not exposing them to undue risk yeah. or to be identified, tracked down, those sorts of things. But until just a recent comment in, in your last uh, response, didn't really think about what that meant for open doors in mm. those spaces. How how do you find the way to get in, get entrance, make connections with those places and do the work you need to do and, and not experience the same persecution as the people you're trying to help? Yeah, look, that's a conversation for off-air probably. Your tactics, you completely understand your tactics. To be honest, the, um, the way we work in-country mm. is um, – is incredibly relational mm. and for the countries that we work in, you know, what's interesting, you're in an organisation here at Open Doors where um, most of the people I'll meet in country will have no idea that we work for the same organisation. Wow. Right? Because it's just too dangerous and yeah, risky yeah. To, to, to make that link. Yeah. So you, you, you're unconscious all the time of I am, particularly the, when the I'm there. Threat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the it's, – I'm more conscious of the impact it will have on those believers if if I screw up. Yeah, right. Um, because it's not – it comes at a great cost. I mean we, we are talking about lives. We're talking about prison sentences. We're talking about life and death sometimes. We're yeah. talking about education and food and healthcare. You know, these are really serious matters that if we're liberal or laissez-faire with our approach to stuff, mm. it, it does really make it life difficult for people. You go into these spaces, Mike, and – you, you have uh, a healthy respect for the context, the political context, cultural context. You may even, from what I'm picking up on some of your conversation, have a, a, a genuine esteem for the spirituality of these, these people. You come from a different space, different background. The principle of the unifying of the body of Christ and the equality and the connection that you feel is that a genuine experience when you go to these these places and you feel even though we don't know we're working for the same organisation, we know we're, we're serving the same God, we're part of the same global yeah, body is. of Christ? I would say that, that that's one of the most um, one of the most honouring parts of this ministry is to mm. see the global church in all of its beauty and all of its faults and all of its challenges. Uh, what, what I wrestle with probably most is a flip side to that question is actually when you come back to mm. Australia and reintegrating into church culture, mm. I fear when I look around Western church or Western churches that some of the greatest persecutors of the modern church are in fact Christian. Yeah, right. Because the way that we speak about the church, it so rarely brings honour mm. uh, and more often than not tries to, to force a divide. And so reintegrating into church culture is one of the harder parts of our job because there, there's a big difference um, – between coming back with an, an optimistic viewpoint and coming back with a bitter viewpoint. And I think the moment that sort of seed of bitterness gets into your view of the, the church in Australia, you can become very cynical, very, mm. very, you're just contributing to the persecution, mm. right? And so my desire and my goal is to always have a hope-filled viewpoint of that the church good. here. Yeah, that is so good. Because, Brendan, pastors here, even congregational members here, we all wake up thinking how can we best serve God? Mm. But how can we wreck the world? Yeah. And too often we, we love to pass judgment on others. So I think that's the bigger challenge for me in this organization is when I have those experiences, 
how do I not let them come back and either make yeah. me an elitist Christian? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, saying, oh, well, I've experienced this and you haven't. And, and how do I make them um, inherently church unifying yeah, that's as good. opposed to destroying? That is so good. I can imagine the the danger of, of uh, coming back and being super critical of Australian church mm. saying, you know, boy, if you guys only knew, if you had that, where you would be. And to let the Spirit of God retain a generous it's his church. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it's the and church facing you know, there's, persecution there's, or the That's right. There's there's mm. one body of Christ. I mean, that was one of the, again, one of the greatest examples of story mm. from the Middle East was mm. that I remember being in um at one of the refugee camps, five and a half thousand people, it was a scorching hot day, and as we're walking across this camp, um out of the corner of my eye I saw someone walking up to me with real purpose. And I thought to mm. myself, in any of those moments, you've actually got to start thinking, mm. Okay, this if this goes off, how do I get out? Mm. Um Anyway, he got up in my in my face and sort of said, "Hey, I hear you from Australia," and uh, I said, "Yeah, I am." And he said, "I want you to know our church. We pray for you." Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, "Man, don't yeah. put that on me." I'm like, <laughs> "Are you kidding me?" And he started talking about this in broken English, this chocolate mm-hmm. thing. And anyway, we landed on the Lint Cafe siege from several years oh, ago in Sydney. Right. And he said to me, "When that happened, our church, we stopped and we prayed for you." Wow. And I sort of thanked him profusely, and he says, "You know, the wrestle is that in the West." You've looked at the body of Christ as arms, legs, fingers, and toes. But he said, for us, we look at it as blood, yeah. bones, oh, muscle, and yeah. skin. Yeah, wow. He said, the bones are like the Catholics. He said, they're rigid and you can't move them. <laughs> and he says, but you take them away from the body and the body can't stand. Yeah. And he says, Mike, I want you to remember when they're dying at the hands of ISIS over here, they're not dying because they don't deny Mary. They're dying because they don't deny Jesus. Amen. And then he said, the muscles. They're like the Anglicans. He said they're kind of rigid, but you can move them a little bit. And then he said the blood, they're like the Pentecostals and charismatic, free-flowing and always changing. But he says you take away any one of those elements and the body can't stand. And then he said, and like fighting off a wound or infection, blood flow increases, muscles contract, and other parts of the body rush to that area to protect it. He said right now the body of Christ in Iraq is hurting and we are rushing to protect it. Amen. What a great thing. And I, I think, man, that was the, literally the moment I thought to myself, I'm in the body, yeah. but I'm not in the fight. Yeah, right? yeah. It's almost like there's a big cut on the arm down here yeah. and I'm off in the left shoulder going, oh, everything's good over here. Yeah. No, no, there's one church, Brendan, yeah. whether it's Australia, whether it's Iraq, yeah. whether it's North America, whatever it is, yeah. we're all in the body. And my pursuit now, when you talk about purpose, is to make sure the Christians in the West, yeah. we're all in the fight. Yeah. right? Because the longer we hang off in the left-hand side of the body thinking life is grand, the other side's taken a beating. Yeah. And um, there's one body and that beautiful analogy, like we know with our own bodies, yeah. blood flow increases, muscles contract, right? Pentecostals come together, Anglicans come together, the bones become like yeah, the, the church structure. Unites, yeah, right? that's great. So people listening, yeah, they can't help but be moved and challenged by the things that you've been sharing. And How, how do they join the fight? How do they... Be lean into this yeah. this experience. Look, I think everyone who calls themselves a Christian should be doing something for the persecuted church, mm. right? Because it, it doesn't take much to make a big difference. It can be um, five bucks. It can be prayer. It can, like, but but all of us should be acutely aware about the global church mm. and what we can use in our freedom mm. to support its ongoing survival. Because what you're doing is you're ultimately by supporting the work of Open Doors, you're investing into where the gospel is actually working, mm. right? And my job is to then place the persecuted church as spiritual mentors to us mm. so that it can kind of encourage us yeah. to take that next step publicly 
to maybe post on Facebook that yeah, we're Christian or do good. an Instagram post of, with a cross on yeah. it or to tell our girlfriend or our boyfriend that we're, we're going to church yeah. or to invite their neighbours next door. Yeah, that's good. Right, if we can coax Australia into a more courageous expression of faith by using the persecuted church as spiritual mentors, we will grow around the world yeah. in courage. may not be numbers, but I'll tell you what, it will be courage. Yeah. And so my hope is for all of the listeners, yeah, you can go to the website opendoors.org.au, you can find us on socials, follow me on social, whatever you want. But what I would encourage you to do is be bold and courageous enough mm. to put some skin in the game. Yeah, right? that's so good. Actually help the global body of Christ because there's people out there you'll never meet who are every day waking up and going at it for the yeah. gospel and they're taking a beating for it. Yeah, that is so fantastic. that You've captured both of those sorts of things. Be practical, mm. you know, find what you can do, start a conversation in your own church community about what are we doing for the persecuted church, but but own it yourself. Yeah. Live that life, get in contact, don't just know about Jesus, walk with him day Correct. by day, let him lead you, let him prompt you, let him give you words that are going to speak. That is fantastic, Mike. Where a lot of our listeners are, are in the early stages of forming their life's direction, their their future, and uh, hopefully they respond to the encouragement you've given mm. to say whatever stage they're at, whether it's at school or at uni or just starting career, how do they do that? In in terms of a longer view, a longer term view of, of how they could um, make a difference, find their sense of purpose, you, I think, I think, no, have a sense of real call that this is where God wants you. This is the work that he wants you to be doing. Last comments mm. about how any of our young people might feel, this is how I know I'm where God wants me to be. Yeah, look, I think I think one of the biggest misnomers around purpose and calling and as Christians, one of the things that really gets me, you know, rubbed up the wrong way is when people link a calling with a vocation. Mm. Right now they say a yeah, I'm called to work at Open Doors or whatever. Or they'll put language around that. Mm -hmm. Oh, you, you know, work at Open Doors, it must be a calling. No, no. Man, my calling is to love God and to love people. Mm. Right? That's all it is. I can do that stacking shelves at Target. I can do it working at Open Doors. I can do it at home. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for anyone listening, particularly students on that um, cusp of, of year 11, year 12, going into university, whatever it might be, is that don't ever let anyone tell you that your calling is caught up in what you do. Good. Right? It's caught up in who you are. Amen. That's right? great. And I think that's the most beautiful part about calling. I've had a life where I've been, you know, racially abused. I've had to learn what it means to have identity. Mm. I've had a life where I've been smuggled across borders. I've had all sorts of crazy things happen. But you know what? None of it shapes, none of the, like, it's not what I do that matters, yeah. right? It's who I am. Yeah. And so I always say, hold on to everything loosely except Jesus. Yeah, good. Because the reality is that you can take um, open doors from me tomorrow and it's not going to affect my self-belief yeah. or my spiritual worth. Yeah. Because as I said to you before, Brendan, I'm called to love God and I love people. That's good. No matter where on earth I find myself, I can do that. Yeah. And so my hope is today for anyone listening, that is really don't good. worry about what you're doing at uni. Don't get caught up in the fact that, you know, is this the right choice? Is it the wrong choice? In many ways, there's no wrong choices with God mm. because it's not about what you do. It's mm. about who you are. That's true. And we can share his love everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it's such an imperative, that that message to say, you know, you don't have to wait until yeah. you arrive somewhere or until <laughs> you finish your qualifications. Yeah, you never you, arrive. You Let get me that dream that. position That's or right. you, you feel this is my destiny. It's it's right where you are. The things that God's put across your path, yeah. you the never people arrive. you meet today make a difference. Amen. Mike, it's been an absolutely fantastic conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to hear what 
what God's opened your eyes to see about his truth, about his nature and his character, and to hear about the work that he currently has you doing. We will continue to pray for open doors, pray for you, the work you do over there, the work you do to provoke awareness and responsiveness here in the church in Australia. Sounds great. Likewise, let's do it again sometime. Amen. Really look forward to it. God bless you. You too. 